came to me after finishing this 33, 34, I lost track, 34, 35 mile run was how is this possible? How is it possible that after doing what most people would consider the most excruciating, the most painful, the most daunting thing of their life, how is it possible that I'm running faster than I've ever run before, that I'm sprinting harder than I've ever sprinted before, that I quite literally am flying because I am moving so fast and I'm not actually flying, but I'm running faster than I've ever run before after doing 34, 35 miles. That was the question I had asked myself in Louisville, Kentucky, after finishing one of a handful of ultras that I had done. And this same moment, it was brought to life in probably a hundredfold dimension a handful of months later when I'm back in Colorado. And what I am about to tell you is, I think it could be shocking. I think it could be something that you're going, going to hear it and you're going to doubt it because of how truly unbelievable it is. And I share this story because when I talk about what I have referenced as the infinity run, I'm talking about something that is true for my life, but that I know to be true for your life as well. And I'm reminded of that question. How is this possible? How am I able to do this? The Infinity Run took place a little bit northwest of the town of Breckenridge, Colorado. And I am actually in the base of a valley of the Pacific Tarn. And what you've got to know about the Pacific Tarn is that it's actually the highest naturally occurring lake in all of the United States. And so this lake, and it's not a big lake, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively small body of water, but it sits somewhere between 10 and 12,000 feet above sea level. So it is an incredibly high up body of water. And if you see this thing, if you've swam in it, it is pristine. It is like glass. I, I, words that I could say about it will never be able to do it justice. But on this day, you know, it's, it's a June day. And one of my buddies gave me a call the day before saying, hey, I'm going to go up to, um, to this one trail. I'm going to go hike up there and go fish. Do you want to join? And I said, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, we, we did the initial hike. And he's with one of his buddies, and they're down there fishing. And I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. I'm going to put on the running shoes, and I'm going to keep going. And so I put on those running shoes, and now I'm trail running in Breckenridge or north of Breckenridge at like 8,000, 9,000 feet of elevation. And I continue to climb up and I continue to climb up. And by climb up, I mean, I'm, I'm running up a mountain. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And I get to this place of, I don't know, 11,000, 12,000 feet of elevation at the base of the mountain before the Pacific Tarn. And I'm in this valley. And you've got to understand that at 12,000 feet, at this 11,000 feet above sea level, typically you will not find open spaces. Typically at that elevation, it is jagged peaks, sharp edges. It's life and death and the precipices are 3,000, 5,000 foot drops. But there is this valley at the base of the Pacific Tarn. And this valley I would describe as, I'd say 10 to 14 football fields in size. So five across, two down. That's kind of how this valley would be set up. And in this valley as well, there is a dirt trail. 
and the elevation climb has stopped at this point. And so you literally, it, it's flat ground, but it's at about this 12,000 feet of elevation. And I find myself in this valley and I have the running shoes on and something happens. You know, what you've got to understand about being at 12,000 feet of elevation or any level of elevation is that the pressure outside of your body is significantly less. So a bag of potato chips at sea level, what you're going to see is that bag itself, uh, you know, if you put your hand to it, you could squeeze in the bag at all angles. It's not going to be a big deal. But at, say, 10,000 feet of elevation, that bag would be like, so, it'd be like a balloon. It'd be like someone filled it with hot air because there's no pressure outside of the bag. The bag is pressurized from within. And when there lacks pressure around that bag, what happens is it expands. And your lungs are quite literally the same exact thing. And so at 12,000 feet of elevation, you know, your lungs become like this inflated bag. And so what happens is it becomes more difficult for you to breathe because the external force, the external uh, air environment is not causing your lungs to compress. And so in aerobic breathing, what it is is your lungs are circulating blood and they're oxygenating blood throughout your body by having your lungs pump. But a lung pumps by being pressurized. And when you take away the pressure, your lungs have to work twice as hard, three times as hard. At this elevation, 10 times as hard just to get the same task done. Your lungs have to work 10 times as hard. And here I am in this valley and I'm going out there and something happens. You know, my, my heart rate, my beats per minute, it's at about 170. It's at about 180. And what you've got to recognize is that that is at a maximum anaerobic level. You know, your sitting heart rate for most people is going to be 60 to 80 beats per minute. You know, people that are able to go up into the 120s, the 140s, the 150s, you know, you have to be careful because your heart, it's, it's an engine. And that heart and that engine can be overworked. And what happens when that heart and that engine is overworked is that a part of it can break. And when part of that engine breaks, that's what leads to a heart attack. That's what leads to heart uh, palpitations. And so not only are my lungs working 10 times as hard, but my heart is having to work 10 times as hard as well. And so I'm at this 180 beats per minute. It's at a level where honestly, 99.99% of Americans, if they go to this level, they will have a heart attack. They will die. That is the truth because it is such an un uncommon place to be able to actually live and to be able to actually stay. It is so not natural to the human condition that to actually experience that, it causes for your body to go into a shock. It quite literally causes heart attack. That is what heart attack can be caused by, the heart being overworked. And so I call this the infinity run because I'm in this valley, 12,000 feet of elevation. My body is working harder than it's ever had to work in its entire life just to be able to sustain itself. Hours. And something happens. Something happens several hours in. And I just take off. And I start running harder. And I start running faster than I've ever run in my entire life. And at this point in time, my heart rate is even above that 180. I mean, this is it's quite literally the death level. 
and something fundamentally happens where that heart rate in that moment where think about you are running as fast as you possibly could ever run. Think about that. And then imagine that it was easy. Imagine that there was no struggle. Imagine that you could literally do that for the rest of your life and never be fatigued. I know that that's a tough place to try to put yourself in mentally, but just think about walking and running in a dream. If you've ever actually been in a dream and ran, you never feel tired. You just are in that dream being limitless. And the significance of the infinity run for me at the Pacific Tarn is that you know, you recognize that the perceptions of what you think are possible, they turn out to be perceptions. They turn out to be mere thoughts. They turn out to be something that other people have said or maybe that you have said to yourself, but that doesn't make it true. And maybe to make the idea a bit more crisp, it's like for most people, their perceptions, that's actually what confines them. So they're perceiving that they have a certain skill set. They're perceiving what their actual uh, limits are. They're, that's what their perception is. And because they're perceiving what their limits are, they're never actually trying to push beyond that level. And they fail twice because their perception is a failure because they have never even been to that certain place that they think they can't reach. They've never even been there. So firstly, they're failing in two places. Firstly, within that perception, they're failing. And then secondly, they're failing because they're not trying to actually take new ground. You know, they're saying, hey, that is the perception. I am unable to do that. So I'm not even going to try. And so firstly, their entire mindset is completely backwards because they're not even allowing themselves to dream of the possibility of being impossible. They think that impossibility is a fact, whereas impossibility, let me tell you this, it's just a probability. What I learned from the infinity run, what I know to be true, is that there is a fundamental flipping of the script, a fundamentally new way of approaching life in recognizing that perceptions, this thing that most people use to confine them, perceptions can actually be the tool that we use to raise ourselves to new levels that we have never been to before, ever been to before. And the way that we actually do that is by being open to the idea that we can be limitless, that we can do things that other people would say not possible. It just comes from actually allowing your heart to be open to the idea that, hey, I'm just going to go out here and I'm going to give it my best and I'm going to seek mastery in all that I'm doing. And I'm going to try to send it in a way that I've never sent it before and try to take it to a new level that I've never taken it before. And I'm going to see what I learned from that. Because the infinity run, it's not about, you know, doing basically this thing that would kill most people. It would kill most people. It would kill 99% of people, 100%. The infinity run is about changing a perception. It's about redefining what beliefs are and recognizing that beliefs, <laughs> beliefs, beliefs are just that. And what I've found to be true is that we're telling ourselves stories. We're telling ourselves stories around what our beliefs are. What if we just stopped approaching the world? What if we stopped approaching the things that we actually want in our life with our built-in belief system of all the ways, all the reasons why maybe it can't work, why these things are tough, why it's not supposed to be that way. 
And what if we just said, hey, I'm going to be open to the opportunity that this is going to work out, that not only is it going to work out, but I'm going to go to new heights that I've never been to before. I'm going to go do things that most people would never even dream of and that I've never even dreamed of before because I'm living in a state of eternal possibilities. I'm talking about being able to live within that mental space of eternal possibilities. You want to know what heaven is? Do you want to know what the law of attraction actually is? Do you want me to make it real for you? Heaven, being able to live with God, being able to live within that mind space, is simply being able to live within the imagination, within the thought space of eternal possibilities. And recognizing that your person, at your place, at your precepts, your versions of reality, if it's rooted in the egoic self, in the ego, you're always going to be limited. You're never actually going to be able to achieve your true potential. But if you attach yourself to the eternal precepts of God, for some people it could be the eternal precepts of truth, the pillars of prosperity, it's all the same thing. That's when you actually allow yourself not just the opportunity to dream, because here's another thing. You have to allow yourself the opportunity to dream. Most people don't even allow themselves the opportunity to dream. They don't even give themselves the chance to think about what it is that they can do, the life that they can live. Because even that, even that is too painful. Most people won't even allow that. Two things. You've got to do this. You've got to allow for yourself to believe. You have got to believe that your dreams are worth considering that your dreams, it's something that you should spend time with. And then secondly, dreamers are dreamers. <clears throat> and they make up the vast majority of the great achievers. Or, most dreamers are not great achievers, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And they're not great achievers because they would rather live within the dream versus trying to take that dream, that thought, and turn it into a concrete reality within the physical plane. You know, I'm talking about taking something from the eternal plane, from the spiritual plane, something which actually lives within the ether of the eternal, of God, and making that into something real on the physical plane. So something that you can see, something that you can build, something that causes inspiration, perspiration, expiration. Those last two, I don't know what those are. But actually turning something which has never existed or taking something from the ether that has never existed in the physical and doing that and giving that a physical form. That is the work of God. That is the work of a creator doing God's work. That's what the infinity run symbolizes. It symbolizes that approach of saying, how is this even possible? How am I doing this? How am I running at 20 miles per hour at 12,000 feet of elevation with 190 beats per minute while my heart is working at a 12 times rate? How am I not dead right now? How am I not dead? What the infinity run, what the infinity run symbolizes is that fundamental switch of recognizing that the eternal is a possibility. And that possibility is real for me right now. Thank you.